Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. And even still, if they do end up signing like a clowny, may wait until after the draft for wanting to sign with a team. And OBJ right now is the only other guy that they have any interest in. They may make an offer to Julio, but no one's expecting him to accept the offer because... <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be like, all right. Yeah, it'd be like they'd have to be offering him more than anyone else and see it as an A.J. Green replacement. And I don't know if they would want him to come for the injury issue you've seen the last few years. It just feels like it's a weird spot. But at least it's not um, – he probably wouldn't have the same expectations as Jarvis Landry, who was expecting a $20 million a year contract and is uh, probably going to be doing one year for $8 million. He saw Christian Kirk, what he was making, and rightly figured that he should get that. It's just he's uh, – a little older than Christian Kirk, and the Jaguars are just, just a little crazy, I think. A little crazy? All right, yeah, they should have. They probably should be having you know a new GM at least for right now. But you know, it'll it'll be one of those fun aspects at least of how people finally get to see Christian Kirk and why he's not quite a wide receiver one. But they'll also get to see that Trevor Lawrence is at least hopefully pretty good at the NFL level. So it'll be interesting to find out how that goes, but. Yeah, I know. There's just it's kind of a weird avenue of Cardinals fans right now because my thing is is the Kyler Murray contract is probably maybe not more important, but just as if not more important than any other move they make this year. Figuring that out because you know I think a lot of it's just been Michael dragging his heels and kind of wanting to get value, which is get him for five million for one extra year after the way things ended. And Kyler and his camp are like, uh, 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 we we can't do that. The Panthers give up three first round picks, and I can play for them, so. It's, see if they want to try to get it together. <laughs> it's it's interesting because again, the the deal that was supposedly on the table around, you know, four years, forty million with a hundred in guarantees. If if that was essentially in addition to a you play you play for five million this year, and then this deal kicks in or you play for five million this year and whatever it is that if if you could structure that correctly you can get a very you can you can get the vet you can have your cake and eat it too really you can get the value and and you can and you can have the deal signed so yeah that was the deal that was in place from what i told people was he gets guaranteed money because that's how you sign the deal so there's signing bonuses or other stuff but they can kick stuff back into future years as far as it goes so you know he at least has that money in the bank 
right now he's playing for the five million, but then if you get traded to another, it's just it's the way that the contracts yeah. work or and something I mean, like you that. Know, you look at you look at a lot of you look at early season Kyler and late season Kyler, and the and the difference between that is his willingness to take a hit, mm-hmm. okay. and his willingness to take a hit drops later in the season, over year one and year two, was based off I was injured. Mm-hmm. I, I picked up a knock summer along the line and now I'm going to be more aware of taking a hit. And I think one of the largest parts of that downturn is not his competitive. It's not his competitiveness. It's not him being scared. It's it's the long-term security piece. It's the, yep. I want to make sure that I get paid out of this because I could have gone and played baseball and not got hit and had fully guaranteed contracts at the major league level but I love mm-hmm. football I want to ensure that I can do what I love and get my bag at the same time I feel like giving Kyler a contract putting a hundred million dollars into combined across his bank account and in an escrow account that you're like this is my money it will come to me eventually basically creates the sort of piece where when it gets down into the late season and Kyler needs to be willing to take hits he will be a lot more willing to take those hits right and again his dad if you look at his dad and even uncle calvin murray kyler's dad kevin murray was a guy who did the same type of avenue where he went back to college to play football from a baseball contract because he realized he could leverage it but he got hurt like twice really badly and it ended his career and when you look at how it's just this innate sense that kyler has of being able to avoid taking some of those big hits it's like it feels like it's not necessarily even just a size thing. It's a kind of been coached into him to that avenue and degree, and that's something I think that you're right. If teams can take advantage of, and even down the stretch, you look at when guys get hurt or get injured, and how um, teams adapt and adjust. Whichever team ends up being able to effectively run the football better down the stretch ends up being a far more powerful type of enemy because everyone's already nicked up, hurt, and beating. And now you're telling me that these passing attacks people have worked on all offseason long, we can adjust to them with some of these things schematically. We can see some of those tendencies. We've been able to run analytics. But we can't stop our 220-pound backup linebacker from getting trucked by this offensive lineman running up the middle because that's just where you're at in football in some of those places down the stretch. And that's where it's like we've even you can probably point out the healthiest offensive lines a lot of times there's some of the ones that do perform the best in the playoffs for the most part. And Arizona's issue that they had this year, I think, wasn't even health of the line. It was just, you know, talent of some of the players. You weren't able to stop guys in the defensive line one-on-one. And they were so pass-friendly, like Cliff Kingsbury, he accepted. I didn't adjust. I didn't do better areas. Hopkins was, I think I even told people, you look in the red zone, Hopkins was their big play guy. They even had spots where they just need someone to come through. Niners game, Kyler's able to heave it up. Hopkins makes a play in double coverage. Boom, they win that game. That yeah. was missing from their offense as it went on. And as a result, it was just this breakdown where teams realize as long as we can stop Arizona running the football, their receivers are not going to be able to get open. And on the other side, Arizona, without J.J. Watt, was not able to have any type of run stopping. The linebackers are out of place. Teams were content to run the ball more, knowing you could get a big play. And passing attack at least that other teams had had no Robert Alford on the other side so you're able to take advantage of a Byron Murphy on these long routes there's a lot that comes into it but I think the contract is something to especially get into because we had the same issue with Fitzgerald that a lot of people don't remember 
Larry Fitzgerald at one point was probably going to be traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for at least two first-round picks, and then it changed. He comes back in. The Cardinals sign him and extend him to this long-term deal. He gets that extra long-term security, knows where he is, knows that they're going to be you know, building around his skill set and his strengths. That was, I think, a huge avenue, and I think you're right, and that's what Kyler's looking for. And so then it has a lot of people begging the question of, why is it that he hasn't gotten this deal? Like, is Steve Keim not believe in him? Is it the health area? Because it does feel like Cliff is obviously the guy who's standing for him the most. I feel like Michael Bidwell loves the kid. Like, everything we can see as far as the star quality, how Michael treats his players, being able to see what a quarterback is worth. Like, you know, you put Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer in their ring of honor for two great seasons. <laughs> so if Kyler plays two more great seasons, he's just going to be, like, automatically in the ring of honor, you know, if he never played a down after that for Arizona. So that's one of the things of why is there some of the issue and problem. I wonder how much of it comes down to Steve Kime and if he's having to try to build a team that, you know, he's never had to build a team that can go for it year after year. With Kyler, are they trying to have an intentional down year, knowing they're going to have a ton of cap room available to them? Because you could sign con- Kyler's contract extension. He's only going to make, I think you said... um It'd be if it's a $40 million a year contract and he plays, gets guaranteed money, but you can kind of navigate that down the road. So you got the $5 million cap hit that's here. He still gets his money. $30 million next year. Maybe you can stagger it out a bit more with the extension. It's only about $37 million a year. And I think a lot of Cardinals fans would feel like that's kind of where he is. It's even almost a value of you could pay a guy five or six extra million a year being able to bring some guys back, like a, a James Conner would be able to come back if you were strapped up against the cap as a result for that. It's more curiosity, and I'm just wondering how much of that is just the Cardinals having to drag their feet because that's kind of just what they do with some of their players. David Johnson signed the day before the season started. I don't, I don't know. It'll, it'll be something to watch for sure. Yeah, and I, I guess the, the most the most concerning part of, part of it all is the, the, the thought process or the story around we sent this contract to the team and the team had it for two weeks and they said nothing to us. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, that's just incredibly unprofessional as an organization to, to not even pick up the phone and just be like, and maybe this is naivety on my end dealing with an agent, but to not even say, look, we've got your offer. We're in the middle of a, B or C We'll get back to you in ten days. Like, yeah, it almost feels like Steve Kime took his got his contract extension and just doesn't care is what it can feel like or come off as people would say. And even if it is kind of a leverage play of we're gonna try to drive some of the price down or have other areas for each of those, like is part of where I think like we've t- he's talked in the past and Kime has even come out and said, Hey, it's nothing personal, it's just this, it's business for each of those places. But in that case, like you said, it almost then feels like, and then you leak a Super Bowl type of comment about Kyler's lack of maturity. And like, there's, I think, some truth to parts of that for the most part. Like, it's not that Kyler is sitting back there as a, you know, choir boy and he's not basically gone out and won as much as a Tom Brady where people feel like that he can act a certain way. There's definitely like at least some drama that's popped up there just because they haven't kept every little thing behind closed doors. I think they've kept a great job of agents been the one driving the narrative. Kyler's been like, I'm here in Arizona. They've kept those roles so distinct that you're not, a, you, as a fan at least for the most part, 
you're at least able to drive and see kind of they're crafting kind of the villain in this piece of the agents taking all the flack and leaving the player clean to be able to play with the kids, give the charity check, speaking in public of being wanting to be like there's a lot that I think has been very well played by them. And it's almost in a spot where like if the Cardinals are trying to push back, the only leverage they've had is that Super Bowl comment, which came out, of course, like I believe right around when they would have already received that contract put on their desk. So then that just kind of is a whole avenue. And so it makes you wonder, like, is there a part of this that is personal for Steve Kime, where he's saying it's nothing personal, it's not, it's all of this. Is there a part of it where he's saying that it's one thing, but maybe there's an avenue of him that doesn't quite believe in Kyler? I mean, Cliff is the one, I think, in a lot of ways who drafted Kyler. Michael was probably a guy who was easy to talk into it for looking at a star quarterback after what we'd seen from Rosen. Kime is the one who... You know, if I remember correctly, it was even the day of the draft. There was a whole report that went out that said, oh, hey, Quinn and Williams. Yeah, you, we, there's still a chance we may take you at one, which is as soon as I knew that they were never going to take him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, Kyler's a card. That's that's where it is. Uh, you the, just wonder how much of that is personal if there's an avenue that's coming up for the most part because this, this has caused waves definitely with the organization. It's so something much. that I'm sure they're not happy about. Yeah, and I, I think – in hindsight, you can sort of build a timeline now that's relatively accurate. It's contract received. Contract After ignored. they lost that Con- game, and it was like a they, terrible game against the Rams. They yeah. lost that game. <laughs> contract received. Contract ignored. Two weeks go by. Kyler scrubs the socials. Based on, these guys aren't fucking talking to me. Yeah. Then it, then it comes out, the, the comments from... Like it's, it's just a whole heap of passive aggressive. He said, she said, I'm going to react to this by going through the media rather than going direct to a team that all could have been solved probably up front by Steve Kime and probably, probably even Michael Bidwell. Michael Bidwell pick up the phone and ring Eric Burkhart and say, Hey mate, got the contract on my desk. We're going through end of season review. We're going through review with GM, review with head coach. That's our next 10 days. We're then going to come out of that and we're going to jump into the combine. After that point, we'll look at the contract. Yep. That that line of communication. And again, we're, we're dealing with a little bit of innuendo and we don't know whether maybe that phone call happened and maybe Eric Burkhardt's gone, well, no, we should be your priority. But if it hasn't happened and as what we hear is coming out going, they had the contract for two weeks and did nothing, then you've got a problem. Yeah. That's maybe some of it is just, I wonder if some of it is just as simple as, you know, Chandler Jones was traded for, for Arizona and he played an entire year on his Patriots deal on his rookie deal. I then got the extension afterwards. And I just wonder how much of it is Kime just trying to hold off and be able to say, because they do view players separate from each of the different spots. It's one of those avenues. that's unfortunate where, you know, they have this, it's a business. We keep stuff here. Um, Players, at least for the most part in the NFL, are disposable. It's a lot of these coaches and GMs and people who stay within the organization for years and years who are not. And I think that's one of the viewpoints that you just go into, at least. And we've seen a lot of players push back against that, where you know teams have even not necessarily bent to them. They've been like, oh, Tyreek Hill, you're uh, saying that you want to be the highest paid wide receiver in the league? We gave you a 
lower offer because you're approaching 30. You felt disrespected. And so, yeah, sure, we'll trade you for a first or a second to Miami. And that's kind of an avenue, though, of the teams that have really needed and valued their quarterbacks have been content to not do that. The Packers, for example, just took AJ, uh, I think it was a Devontae Adams, and shipped him out, but were ensuring that they could keep Aaron Rodgers around despite having drafted a first-round quarterback behind him. That's how indisposable they view him as, whereas the Seahawks, they didn't want to sign Russell Wilson to another guaranteed contract. There's just an entire avenue of, I think, uh, philosophical differences there. Russ wants it to be focused on letting him cook. Pete Carroll wants to focus on microwaving the run. So there's a whole thing there, I think, that pops up. Matt Ryan at 38, the Falcons... Once it came clear that they were okay with moving on from him, he's like, hey, I want out. They're like, all right, fine, you know, you're it's going to be a big dead cap hit, but we can move on essentially because we'll just clear the books for a year, bring in Mariota, get a rookie quarterback contract. We don't see you as someone who is indispensable moving forward. There's just an interesting level because the Cardinals, like how indispensable is Kyler Murray to your team? And I think that's one of the questions you can have for Steve Kime because I think even a lot of the fans I've seen now, the way that they've responded, and this is kind of the thing I think I've looked at from you know a Cardinals perspective of fans, there's a level of Cardinals fans that I think is very much like every fan. You're not necessarily on the player side because you're on the team. You would love to have every single player be able to take class to stay with your team. It's all about loyalty. I know that there's probably one fan or two who was upset. I even talked to that the Cardinals moved on from Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray because they were like, well, Rosen took those hits and he suffered and he had a terrible season and we're just going to cast him aside for someone better. It was almost like Rosen was suffering at the same time I was suffering. There's a loyalty aspect that was there. And for the team to essentially just cast that aside for someone better, I could see that being a lens that fans view that personally as well too. Just being able to have it with that lens. And maybe there's still some of that with when Murray comes out and is like, hey, I want to be able to make sure that I'm getting compensated for my services. And otherwise, I may look for a trade to a different team if you're not going to commit to me. Suddenly a Cardinals fan who's going to read that goes, oh, well, if Kyler's not going to commit to me, then just toss him out and get the new picks. I don't care what ends up happening. If they stink for another year or so, we can get another quarterback in or you know, talk about Colt McCoy. And I think there's a balance where Kyler's a lot more indispensable to the Cardinals as an organization, but it's hard to know if the Cardinals themselves feel that same way. Yeah, exactly. Very, very interesting, very interesting situation. It'll, yeah. it'll all play out. Just just to go before I've got to take off in a couple of minutes, couple, yeah. couple, one of the early things that EJ mentioned around, there's a lot of teams that are stacked in this year's draft and there's a lot of teams that are stacked in next year's draft. And it's quite funny mm-hmm. because you can see, I think there's there's seven teams with multiple picks in this year's first round and nine teams yep. without a first round pick in this year's first yeah. round. So you're going to be hearing a, Elite lot, talent. a, lot, a lot of the same yeah. names are going to be called up. But then there's um, a number of teams have multiple first round picks next year as well and I look at one of the interesting spots or the interesting trade that did happen is the Tyree Kill trade Mm -hmm. and I look at that and I sort of go well how on earth are they going to get the best out of Tyree Kill with Tura quarterback 
Yeah. They have to, at some point, be able to see what two is made of. Or, you know, some people have suggested was looking back at Brian Flores' comments about Tom Brady trying to get to Miami. Some people wondered if there's going to be some sort of crazy thing that happens there because Gronk hasn't re-signed with the Bucks yet. I'm like, okay, that's like, you know, yeah. we're talking about moon landing levels of conspiracy there, although there's some level that was confirmed about Miami that there was at least a mutual interest there. Um, it would be very Brett Favre-esque to see him go from to a different division for a year, like how he went to the Jets and then came back to the Vikings in order to leave the Patriots through the Bucks, force his way to Miami and have, you know, Gronk Waddle and Tua, uh, or Tua moved out for the most part, but I think it's just a lot easier to see what they've been spending because they know that they've got that rookie deal and that they're trying to set him up for what I think they're hoping is that year three explosion like we saw from Kyler early in the season, being able to provide the quarterback with you know, enough weapons and talent, getting an offensive guy in there. But like, it just feels like it is one of those avenues of you can probably do that, but in a really stacked AFC with a left-handed Alex Smith at quarterback or... You know, like a good example I could even look at was you had Matt Leonard throwing to Anquan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald, and it was Kurt Warner who was needed to really take the franchise to the next level. I think they're kind of in the same boat there for the most part of not quite having the guy at quarterback because of that physical um, yeah. the physical traits that are there to kind of compensate are just are not quite there. I feel like the first couple of weeks of the season, you're going to see Miami play really well, win two or three games teams are going to be sitting back they're going to have two deep 20 yards off the ball they're going to be Mike Gesicki is going to be absolutely dominating until teams in say weeks three four five go back and watch the film and go they're not actually throwing this ball deep yeah. Tyreek so there's a million slant routes that they're being run in the first six weeks <laughs> let's 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 pull our guys let's let's go back to pulling our safety's closer to the line of scrimmage. Maybe we even throw out some cover three or, or middle, you know, middle of the field closed versus middle of the field open coverage. And let's see if two is actually, like even if it's just a couple of plays early, early game, let's see if two is actually yeah. going to be able to throw this vertical ball to Tyreek Hill yeah. to a point where... Or if he checks where, it down. Yeah, or like, but it's also, even if he takes it, is it, is it, accurate enough is it is there enough velocity on it is is it enough of a is it a moon ball or is it something that's that's on a, a enough of a good trajectory that Tyreek Hill's going to make the most of his speed because the way I look at people throwing deep balls and Kyler is it happens to him at times as well that if a guy is open because of speed but you don't have the arm to get it there on time then then the the receiver ends up having to wait for the ball so you're then essentially negating the real the real weaponry of that speed definitely and that was one spot that waddle you look at the stats and how impressive it was and you see how many rpos their offense ran some of that was by default because they didn't have good protection, but some of it was also just that was their offense because they knew that he wasn't going to be going deep. They needed to be able to get areas and he could separate in short yardage. Yeah, It was a compensatory. It's part of why I think a lot of people looked at that team and realized that Flores is probably not the guy who is going to be able to help with this long term. You can toss in a schematic person like a Mike McDaniel whose run game, which very very interesting. The timing of everything is so curious because if the Niners end up moving to Trey Lance – 
and this is a guy who wasn't good enough to start from right away. They lose the guy who's schematically been maybe their true kind of like secret sauce in Mike McDaniel to another team that they've had for years and years and years. You wonder if there's a possibility that two or three injuries could just sink this Niners team for the most part. Like if Trent Williams goes out, then you're just like, and he's under pressure for all this stuff here. There's just issues that are popping up. They're not picking up these, you know, third and sevens like they used to for the most part a year ago. Like that's one of the possibilities that exists. It could be the other way around too, where they are just having an actual vertical threat to their offense now. And suddenly those weapons that they have are connecting and they've got at least the same bruisers to the most part that can do a lot back there um, with getting maybe if Trey Sermon comes back in, it'll just be interesting to, see but i do like at least getting back with arizona like if they can get a wide receiver d-line or o-line in the first as long as it's one of those players i'm pretty content um i think you can get an edge in the second round it'll be harder to get a wide receiver in round two just because i think i agree that there's going to be a bunch of those guys who pop off the board between picks 33 and pick 45 that are just going to go boom 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 so it's going to be a little bit harder for some of that. That may just mean that you're going to have to look at a wide receiver next year and figure out what goes on with Hop because like, you may end up being and seeing the Cardinals and the Rams in the same position of trading Hopkins and Cup to teams that are willing to pay top dollar for them and having to get draft picks. And you're going to pick Kyler Murray over the likes of those for the most part, at least if you're you know, still having him on the roster at that point. But it feels like if you look at the way that the draft is stacked up, I have... I'm pretty confident they could get a round two edge rusher, get a one-year deal for a vet. It's that receiver, offensive line, or defensive line, that type of what's going to be that identity that you bring in that I'm most curious about and how much of that is talent-driven. Like, you know, you don't have Devontae Wyatt there. The receivers are gone. Oh, but Zion's there. Okay, that's just who happened to fall to you versus if they're going to have, like, their guy that they want, which for right now I would lean toward thinking that it would be probably Alave would be the guy that seems to fit both. As far as it's pretty easy to see, but it's also just because they don't have a wide receiver too, and their offensive line is intact for at least one more year because that's yeah. So Steve Kime likes to do stuff, so we'll see how that goes. We will indeed. Awesome. Hey, thanks again for joining. At least for the most part, appreciate the time. We'll see if we end up having it to do next week or not. Because yeah, um, we'll that's we'll see how that goes for the most part. It'll be good to have some other conversations, maybe about the Kyler contract if new news drops. Um, because it feels like at this point where things are going well, as long as if there's no news, it's kind of good news. This year, the, this week, the big news essentially was Kyler making his first public appearance in the stance and putting himself as the good cop. Yeah. That's the way I think you could look at it. And that's like the only news that was there, but it wasn't really news. It was just this is probably who he is either is or presenting himself to be. And if things start to go poorly or there's more avenues, then we'll get another type of ransom note dropped onto the timeline early Monday yeah. morning. He's, he's, presenting, he's presenting himself as yeah. uh, he's, he's gone to the Larry Fitzgerald School of Branding. Yeah. Oh, no. And that's what I've said is it's also brilliant the fact that he and his team are pushing for this with the agent because they're you're recognizing that there probably was a good chance that he would have gotten Baker Mayfielded if they hadn't pushed forward all of this. And then you see the Kime Kingsbury extensions pop up and all of a sudden the entire narrative shifted to, well, you've got to go ahead and pay him now to a lot of places or for some fans who didn't like the process, they're looking at it saying, all right, fine, we'll trade him to the Jets. We'll get this guy back or all right, we're just like he we're just you got to be loyal. It's shifted the entire approach now to where either way, Kyler's going to be in demand either by Arizona or there's a team that's going to be trading for him and then 
essentially having to build around him for the most part. So they've played, I think, their hand it wouldn't be the best way that I would have gone through. Um, as far as I probably would have still tried to go through closed doors, knowing that it's a bad look. Like, he's never going to be viewed the same way Fitzgerald was just because of this one incident people will point to, and they'll always point to the Dan Patrick Show interview, which was, you know, he was legally couldn't say stuff to make sure that he didn't violate his baseball contract was, I think, part of it. But like you said, like, he's put himself into that school of being able to craft that type of area narrative, and I think it's fighting fire with fire, and the Cardinals have not seen this before from any type of player for the most part. So, And then just, just uh, to throw one little, one little spanner in the works, you know, Oh, just by the way, I'm also the agent for your head coach. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I know that you're going to be extending him for the most part because that's what your head coach told me. (laughs) That's the contract that you've sent to me as the agent to sign on, you know, like they were. That's hilarious. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Someone even mentioned and said, hey, if Kyler wants out, is Cliff going to ask to get traded with him? Like, you know, you throw in a second-round pick for Cliff Kingsbury to be your OC, and they say, yeah, he'll, he'll be fine with your head coach, but he's going to go to that team because he knows his success and Kyler are tight close. Yeah. He's not going to want to stay in Arizona and, you know, have to, you know, try to make it work with a Kenny Pickett or just be like, all right, we got Colt McCoy for a year. Guys, we're not tanking, but we're tanking. And just yeah. see where it goes from. Uh, so to, to, to finish on the one point here, it's – I think the worst thing that could have happened for Kyler and his want for a new deal is Colt McCoy winning two games when he was out. Um, yeah, because... and I think that was the one area where it makes you make think, hey, is this going to be part of Kingsbury? Is this part of a scheme-dependent thing? The one thing that's fortunate was I was at that Carolina Panthers game, and Colt McCoy looked like Sam Bradford out there. Like He was even one time running, and I looked at him, and I realized, oh, no. And in that immediate moment, he threw the ball back across his body with the arm strength of Colt McCoy. It flutters over the receiver that was kind of in the area, gets immediately picked off while you were on a drive of just running the ball down their throat up the middle. And you're like, this is where it gets to with the backup quarterback, you know, trusting the arm too much, you know, trusting the legs a little bit too much. You could see, at least for the most part, why it would not be something that would be sustainable over the course of a season. So at least you can point to that game. If he had gone 3-0 and and they had you know beaten the Panthers for the most part and he had been bad but they still won, you probably don't have the ability to uh, – to be. you probably have, I think, some of that worrisome. But they got blown out badly in that game by whatever was left of Cam Newton <laughs> and whatever was – you know, uh, I think the uh, – what was I going to say? The, um, the Baylor guy. Cliff, I don't think he's ever beaten that head coach. So that's just the guy. Some guys get your number – one reason or another Combin- um, combination of rules got his number combination of cam against arizona carolina against arizona rule against the one healthy game you get from christian mccaffrey in two years like like the, those those three combinations it's like rule always beats kingsbury carolina always beats arizona cam always beats yep. arizona let's throw them mm-hmm. all into the same pot and see if it still works yep definitely nope yep that all still is there and that'll be interesting to see what goes on since they play them again this year. We'll play Brady again. Well, they always seem to lose to the Saints as another type of Cardinals avenue for the most part. And AFC West was just going to be an interesting place. Like uh, We'll have to talk a little bit later once the schedule drops in. I think it's May is when it drops after the draft is done. See about what the schedule projections would look like. But it's going to be interesting because I felt like I wanted to pick the team to go 8-9 and nine for three seasons in a row or 8-8 eight and eight for three seasons in a row. And they hit it one year. They hit it one year. They didn't hit it the next year. They went over. Do they go back to that, or is it kind of a 
worse route or do we just suddenly hit this point of wow kyler's kind of carrying them to 10 wins a year and we don't know how or why <laughs> uh funny games so, i mean i mean like if you have kyler olave and more and you have the enough health for all three of those guys you feel like that you're probably at least able to beat up on bad teams and then win one or two close against some of those good teams especially with russ out of the division the seahawks end up you know want to be one of those places where they still beat you despite all things at least considered then you got to tip your cap to them but it's just it's an interesting shift where the nfc is weak enough now that you're not really gonna the excuse you're gonna have is gonna have to be a team surprising to make the playoffs from a year ago where the eagles get so much better the bears improve or something it's just gonna be really interesting because the nfc just got weaker even the rams got weaker like it's it's gonna be a weird avenue for the most part of if are gonna be talking about how bad this cardinals team is and yet they just trot their way out to the fifth seed again like that yeah. would be that seattle type of don't take this for granted cardinals fans because this is not normal type of thing that you would see from you know uh, having that quarterback who brings you that stability for the most part and being able to win even when you probably shouldn't be winning games but Play the AFC West this year, and uh, that's that's going to be a it'll be a lot of fun to see what happens when that schedule drops. So anyway, I don't want to keep you any longer for the most part. No worries. Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. Meanwhile, I got my Saturday. I got to clean up stuff around here for the most part. So. Enjoy that. <sighs> it'll be good stuff. Take care, Ken. All right. See ya.